if someone were to ask us uh, what the most important practice is for Christians, most important component and regular activity uh, in the Christian walk, many of us, no doubt, would respond by saying prayer. Indeed, prayer is a necessary and essential component of knowing God. You can't know God without talking with God and hearing from God. It's an important component of Christian walk and the Christian life. And the, the first letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're instructed as believers to be joyful always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if we're to pray continually, if we're to be involved in continuous prayer, obviously prayer is important. It's important that we know what it is that we're to be doing and saying when we go to God in prayer. And Last week, as we began a new series, as we began looking at this uh, letter to the Colossians, Paul's first letter, or Paul's only letter that we know of to uh, the Colossians, uh, we discovered and we, and we read about one component of Paul's prayer life. He uh, acknowledged that as often as he remembered the Christians in Colossae, whom he had never met, by the way, he lifted them up in prayer to God, thanking God for his tremendous work in their lives, thanking God for his grace on them as believers. And now we come to another component of his prayer life that also involves uh, other Christians. And we pick that up in Colossians today. So let me invite you to look with me uh, it's the New Testament letter of Colossians near the end of your Bible to the right, <clears throat> far into the New Testament. Short letter, four chapter letter. Remember, I said last week that we can remember its location uh, by remembering go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you're not careful, you'll skip right over it. But let me invite you uh, to find your way there uh, and to look at God's word with me as Paul shifts gears a little bit in this letter now continuing to express uh, his written prayer for Christians in Colossae. He's been thanking God for them. Now he intercedes on their behalf, lifting them up, uh, asking God to uh, be present and to do a tremendous work in their lives. So let's look at it together. Colossians chapter 1, picking up in verse 9. He writes, and remember that Timothy is given credit for also helping with the composition of this letter, hence uh, the we pronoun. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now in some form or fashion, the particular written content as we have it here in God's word of Paul's prayers for believers in Colossae ought to, uh, in some way or another, inform what we believe about God. In fact, all Scripture does that. Scripture is God's Word to us, revealing Himself to us, and, and, and in light of who He is, who we are, and how we are to respond to Him. But even 
beyond that, it also ought to inform the content of our own prayer life. In other words, we can look to the example of Paul and Timothy and, and see how they prayed and learn for ourselves ways that we can pray, ways that we can intercede on behalf of other Christians. But I believe that even more of a foundational level than that, more of a basic level than that, this particular passage is about Christian discipleship. It's about growing together as believers in Jesus. And we are led to grow in our walks with Christ when we get a glimpse of the magnificent grace of Christ. When we get a picture, when our eyes are open to the incredible love and compassion that God has for His people as displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then, then we want to live for Him. We want to know Him more. We want to walk with Him. We want to live a life that is honoring to Him, that pleases Him in every way. Indeed, the truth that I believe, the central truth that that we can grasp from God's Word here in Colossians chapter 1 is that God's saving grace compels believers to practice Christian discipleship. God's saving grace compels believers, followers of Christ, Christians, those with faith in the God of the Bible, compels us to practice Christian discipleship. So what then do we mean by Christian discipleship? If this is something that we're to engage in, what, uh, what does that mean? Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Because Christian discipleship or discipleship is one of our three core values as a church here at Meadowbrook Baptist Church, worship, discipleship, and missions. And discipleship, we have described this way, uh, in, in our communications and our publications and really our mission and vision as a church, our values as a church, we have described discipleship as growing together as committed followers of Christ by studying and living out the teachings of Scripture. Growing together alongside other believers, alongside our church family, growing together as committed followers of Christ by studying and living out the teachings of Scripture. Knowing God as He has revealed Himself and then living in the world in light of who God is. And that is exactly what Paul expresses here in Colossians chapter 1, that he is praying on behalf of these Colossian Christians. Look back at uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 9. For this reason, he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What does he say? They're praying asking God to do. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, that you would know Him through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So this idea of learning who Christ is and living in light of who He is, living out the teachings of His Word so that we might live a life that is pleasing to Him. And friends, we too should pray for other Christians in this same vein, in this same way. God's people ought to pray that believers would grow to know and walk with God. God's people ought to pray for other believers, those gathered with us, those who comprise this church, but not only this church, those that comprise the universal church, all those who are followers of Jesus. We ought to intercede on their behalf. We ought to pray for them that they too would grow to know and walk with God. I think I've shared before that when I think of people who I know are praying for me and who have prayed for me and who have invested in my discipleship, I think of my mother and I think of my grandmother. I think of how they have encouraged me by telling me time and time again that 
They pray for me every day. They pray that I would know the Lord, that I would walk with the Lord, that I would live a life that is honoring to Him. And those of us who have been privileged to have mothers and others who have fulfilled that role, who have not only cared and provided for us physically, but who have cared and prayed for us spiritually, who have invested in our discipleship, who, in, who have invested in us knowing and walking with God, ought to thank, thank them and thank God for them, for blessing us in that way. And on this Mother's Day, if you're a mother, if you're a grandmother, if you're an aunt, if you're a sister, if you're a guardian, if you are a teacher, and there are others who are under your care, know that the best gift in all of the world that you can give them is to pray for their spiritual well-being. Pray that they would know Christ and that they would walk with Christ. Pray that they would live a life that is pleasing to Him. And as we get to know Him, we naturally want to live for Him. I believe that's, that's a picture that we see in God's Word. We don't simply read and study His Word just to know more stuff. No, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Perhaps others are as well. I'm guilty of measuring sort of my discipleship by how much I know. But we don't read and study the Word of God just to know more. We, we read it so that we might be informed in how to live a life that is pleasing to Him, that honors Him because He is worthy of our devotion, because He is worthy of our lives, because He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our praise. This is the process of Christian discipleship, growing along other believers together, growing together to know and to walk with Jesus Christ. It's also described in some circles and perhaps theology circles is the process of sanctification. In other words, believers are set apart, set apart as children of God, as followers of Christ, as people who have gone from guilty to innocent before God, people who have been reconciled to God. Then we are called to live in light of who we are. This is an ongoing endeavor, an ongoing practice, an ongoing walk as we seek to grow closer and closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because this is an ongoing growth that begins at our salvation and continues for the rest of our lives, we must continually pursue God. Continually pursue God in everything. This whole Christianity thing is not a once and done thing. It's it's not a Once I prayed a prayer and now I'm done. I can't say when it comes to following Christ, been there, done that. No, if you are following Christ, you are there and you continue doing that because it is a life that has been given to Christ to follow Him, recognizing that He is Lord, that He is Master, that He is Savior, and you desire to follow in the direction that He leads you. Continually pursue God, pursue Him by diving into His Word. His revelation of who He is and what He desires us to know about Him. Learn His Word. His Word tells us who He is. Tells us who we are and how we're to live in light of who He is. Continually pursue Him through a life that is devoted to prayer. Praising God for His greatness, thanking Him for His goodness, lifting requests up to Him, personal requests up to Him, knowing that you can be 
open and honest and transparent with God and also interceding on behalf of other Christians before God, thanking God for fellow believers and lifting them up that they too might know and grow and walk with God, that they too might continually pursue God. Let's pursue God together. We ought to pray that others would know and walk with the God of the Bible. So what does it look like to do that? What does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be walking with God? What does it look like in the language of Paul here to live a life that is pleasing to him in in every single way? And we get a glimpse of what that looks like in the continuation of Paul's prayer. Look back at Colossians 1, picking up in verse 10. So he, he prays that they would grow in knowledge and understanding so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So what does that look like? Well, he tells us bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Really, four markers that are mentioned there, four participles in the original language of the New Testament. Bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, being strengthened, and giving joyful thanks. Folks, walking with God yields spiritual growth, it reveals dependence, dependence on Him. And it results in gratitude. Walking with God yields spiritual growth, reveals dependence, and results in gratitude. Just like smoke is a marker of a fire. Just like a bird is marked by singing. Or springtime in Alabama is marked by lots of pollen. These things are markers of one who is walking with God, who is pursuing God, who is living for God. They're characterized by continual desire and pursuit of understanding Him. The knowledge of God, growing in knowledge of God, pursuing Him through His Word. And then living a life that is connected to to what He desires us to be. These two things are must go together. They are interconnected. Truth be told, you cannot be faithful in one without the other. We must continually desire to pursue and to know God and then to live a life that is obedient to Him. Often I think we sort of pull these things apart and emphasize one to the detriment of the other. It's either all about what you know or it's all about what you do. Take, for example, the Recent rioting in places like Baltimore and Ferguson and New York. And you have one camp that is accusing the other camp of acting out without knowing all the facts. And then the other camp is accusing the first camp of acting out or or not acting out at all. Not doing anything at all. And the reality is for us as Christians, we cannot have one without the other. To be a disciple of Christ, you must know Christ and you must walk with Christ in obedience to Christ and love and devotion to Christ. As you begin to grow in your walk with Him, as you begin to know Him, your life begins to produce fruit in the world. Spiritual fruit that is reflective of Christ working in and through us. We also begin to realize our dependence on Him in the first place for even living a life that is remotely honoring to Him at all. In other words, God not only saves us by His grace, but He keeps us by His grace. He sustains us by His grace, and He matures us by His grace. 
It's really not much about us. It's about Him and Him working through us. And as we begin to recognize that, as we begin to see that, then we cannot help but to overflow in joyful thanks to Him for what He is doing in our lives and through our lives for His glory. These are the specifics of Paul's prayer as he intercedes on behalf of Christians whom he's never even met in Colossae. And we too, church, ought to offer specific prayers for fellow Christians. Offer specific prayers to God on behalf of fellow Christians, other followers of Christ. When you don't know what to pray, pray for other believers. When you don't know who to pray for, pray for other Christians. Pray for other brothers in Christ, other sisters in Christ. Lift them up on behalf of God this week. Pray for their spiritual growth. Pray that they would recognize their dependence on Him. Pray that they would overflow in gratitude to God. Let me pause for just a moment. Look around. Look at this room. I know it's sort of awkward. Nobody wants to do that. But look around. Notice who's on your right, who's on your left, who's sitting near you. If you don't know these folks... Learn their name before you leave here today. Learn their name and you lift them up this week in prayer to God, asking that God would do a tremendous work in their lives for His glory. Folks, God's saving grace compels believers to practice Christian discipleship. And one of the ways that we do that is we come alongside each other and we pray for one another. We intercede on each other's behalf that we might know and walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And this truth, this foundation, and this motivation for living a life of discipleship, for living a life that is obedient to God, is highlighted in the final verses of this section. So look back with me at Colossians chapter 1, picking up again in verse 12. Paul prays. He tells them how that he prays. The last, one, last thing that he mentions is he prays that they would give joyful thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified you To share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Folks, there is one reason. Conveyed in one word, one five letter word. It sparks us to want to know God and to live a life that is pleasing to God when we have recognized and grasped in faith. And it's spelled G-R-A-C-E, grace. Folks, God's gracious work of redemption is the foundation and the motivation for Christian living. What He has done, the kindness He has shown, the unmerited favor that He has shown us is our motivation and our foundation for living a life that is pleasing to Him. We are unlike all the other major religions of the world in that we are not working to earn our salvation. We are not working to earn God's approval. We are not working to be good enough before God and thank God that we're not because the reality is none of us are really that good. If we were working for a status before God, we would all be left in a hopeless condition because we are fallen creatures who have sinned and rebelled against the Almighty God. God's Word tells us that He has, He's qualified us 
He has stepped in and done something for us. We didn't qualify ourselves, verse 12. He qualified us to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Deserving death and judgment. He has given us a different status. A different position. Remember the familial language that we saw last week in the opening verses? He has given us the status of children of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Calling Him our Father in heaven. And that means that like Christ, the Son of God, we too are given an inheritance before the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. An inheritance that Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Can never perish, can never spoil, can never fade. Because it is kept in heaven for us. No doubt, when Jews heard this language, language of an inheritance, they were probably taken back to the promised land, thinking of their ancestors and the promises that were made to them, that they would inherit this land. The descendants of Abraham would inherit this land. And they did, but it didn't last forever. Eventually they lost that inheritance. It was taken away from them. And any earthly inheritance will eventually fade away. It will eventually run out or be taken from us. Money does not last forever, but the inheritance that God gives His children is an eternal inheritance that never perishes, that never spoils, that never fades away. Praise God that He has accomplished salvation for us, that He has qualified us by His grace to receive an inheritance that none of us have ever done a thing to earn or to deserve. And verse 13, He has rescued us. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to imagine for a moment. This will certainly be a stretch for most of us, maybe all of us, but imagine for a moment that you have committed a heinous crime. You have done something awful and a low point in your life, emotionally, Your life was spiraling out of control and you did something that you should have never done, that you thought you'd never be caught for. You just knew that this time you could get away with it. But you didn't get away with it. You were caught. And now you are in jail and you've been waiting day after day, week after week. Weeks have turned into months. You have been awaiting trial for a crime that you have committed. And then all of a sudden, one day, before ever going to trial, you have found out that you are going to be freed. That you are going to be offered amnesty. That you are going to be released from jail. No longer prosecuted. And not only that, but you've been given a great position of service and you've been given a great place to live, a nice home to live in. You've been given a comfortable life where you know that your life can be all that you ever dreamed it would be for the rest of your life. Life has taken a complete 180 degree turn and you don't know why. All you know is like the prodigal son that once you were lost, now you're found. Once you were dead and now you're living again. Life is in order. And then one day you hear that the reason you were freed is because someone else stepped forward and someone else said, though it wasn't true, he didn't do it. I did it. Let him go. Take me to trial. Folks, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
This is similar to what happens to all of us. Because we are guilty before an eternal, perfect, matchless God whose standard is holy and perfect, and yet, not because of anything we have done, not by works, Scripture says, so that no one can boast, but by His grace, He has offered salvation to us. He has rescued us. He, this is more than sort of a counselor's job or a repairman's job of coming in and sort of adjusting things and making things right. No, He has rescued us. Like a child that is in a burning building or a woman who are who is drowning with no one around to help, God has stepped in and provided in a way that no one ever saw coming, that no one ever thought possible, that could not be accomplished in any other way. He has lived the life that we didn't live, ultimately so that He could die the death that we earned for ourselves. He has rescued us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into His kingdom. Redeeming us, purchasing our lives, our salvation, like a slave would purchase his freedom and forgiving our sin, no longer holding us responsible for any wrongdoing we have ever done, washing us white as snow, giving us an incredible and eternal inheritance that only he could give. Far better than anything we could ever accomplish on our own. And folks, this grace, which is God's saving grace, His redeeming grace, is what compels us to practice Christian discipleship. To live for Him, to pursue Him, to come together with other believers in Jesus. To be part of His church, ultimately to grow as we walk with Him, as we seek to know Him, as we joyfully live for Him and give thanks to Him. Church, if you are a recipient of this overwhelming grace, let me invite you, let me encourage you to fix your mind on this grace. Fix your mind, fix your eyes, fix your heart on God's grace. Never lose sight of it. If you want to grow in your walk with the Lord, fix your mind on His grace. If you want to be transformed. Fix your mind on His grace. If you want to be used by the Lord in your neighborhood, in your home, in your workplace, in the classroom, then fix your mind on His grace. Never lose sight of what it is that He has done for us, is doing through us, and ultimately will continue to do for us and for His glory. Folks, amazing grace. It's amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Saved me, rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into his kingdom. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Folks, we owe God our lives, our devotion, our allegiance, our everything because of his great love for us. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you indeed are a great and good God. You are a God who has accomplished for us what we can never do on our own. And that is that in while we were still sinners, Lord, while we were still living a life of open rebellion against you, a life of disobedience, 
living in the domain of darkness, Lord, you rescued us. You died for us so that we might live eternally with you. Father, we thank you for that this morning. We pray that our lives would be characterized by knowing and following Jesus Christ, pursuing Christ, Lord, that you might be glorified in us, that we might live lives, Lord, that are pleasing to you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.